able, would you please rise as we listen to our sermon text for this morning. This is the inspired, infallible, and inerrant word of the Lord our God. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jer Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up through the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fjords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that I have dealt, as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sister, and all who belong to them and do deliver our lives from death. And the man said to her, Our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be upon his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Please be seated. Would you pray with me once more? Father, as we open your word and look at this text, we ask that as you have promised, your spirit would be here amongst us, that your spirit would move in our minds and hearts to hear and understand what you have for us this morning in your word. 
that after we have heard this, that we would come to know you more deeply, to love you more completely, and to obey you more thoroughly, and that we may live our lives for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So I imagine I'm not the only one in the audience who enjoys a good spy story. I have several in my library on the bookshelves, and I enjoy reading them a lot. And this is probably the quintessential spy story. A little bit of background here. After 40 years in the wilderness, as Bob told us, after the Israelites had left Egypt, they've come to the east side of the Jordan River. The Lord is fulfilling the promises he made to Abraham over 400 years earlier that he would call Abraham's descendants, now a great nation, out of Egypt and would lead them to Canaan and would give them possession of that land as their inheritance. And he has done that. He has faithfully guided them 40 years through the wilderness and has brought them to this point. They've defeated the Amorite kings on the east side of the Jordan. Moses has died, gone to be with the Lord, and Joshua has been anointed as his replacement. One of the first acts Jericho does, as we Jericho does, Joshua does in this case, is we see that he sends spies into the land to see what is going on there. Joshua's plan for conquering Canaan is pretty straightforward. It's basically divide and conquer. He's going to conquer the middle of the country first, then he will defeat the kings and the countries in the south, and then he will fight the kings and the cities in the north, and, and he will conquer the land and the people will settle in it, fulfilling God's promise. To do this, the first thing he has to do is conquer Jericho, which sits about five or six miles from the Jordan River. It's a major fortified city that sits on the north-south King Highway, King's Highway, and he has to get that conquered first, and this is what he's setting out to do. Why that's important is remember what it says, they've conquered the Amorite kings on the east side of the Jordan, and two and a half tribes, if you'll remember, have settled there. This becomes the base for the Israelite invasion of, the, of Canaan. This is, this is where their sons, their children, and their, and their wives and their families will stay while they rest cross and fight the battles. This is where the wounded will get sent to be healed. This is where they will have stocks of food. Now, they'll generally try to live off the land, but where they need food and sustenance, it will come across the Jordan through the center part of Canaan. Because you have to remember, God's free lunch plan ends the day that the Israelites cross the Jordan River. The manna will stop. And then they have to provide out of, out of, out of what is in the country. So the first point I'd like to, in the outline in the bulletin I want to talk about for a minute, is faith is not a spectator sport. So God had promised to fight for Israel and to give them the land. But this did not mean that the Israelites were to just stand by and watch. They were to be God's instruments in this conquest, but they would have to participate in it, conquering the land. And Joshua is seeking to take advantage of all the means that the Lord has given him to help in doing that. You ask me, well, what would those means be? Training his troops. I'm sure while they're on the east side of the Jordan, all the soldiers are getting trained. 
I'm sure that the weapons are being sharpened, the bows are being strung, the spears are being ready. He's getting supplies ready for when they move across the Jordan so they'll have those available to them as they continue on on their conquering of the land. And he sends spies into the land to see just how strong is Jericho, how thick are the walls, how many troops are there, what's the morale of the people, all things a good general would do in preparation and before he would attack. As I read this and thought about it, this reminds me of the story of our sanctification. Much like, as Bob mentioned, God saved the Israelites out of Egypt and took them across the Red Sea. And he did that work himself. Much like we come to saving faith, the Lord does that all on his own. There's nothing in it that we do or justify. But after our salvation, we are called sanctification, and the Lord sends the Spirit to help us do that. But it's not a spectator sport. Philippians, it says, work out our salvation in fear and trembling. We are to participate in that by the means of grace that God has made available. That would be the daily reading of our Bible and meditation on the Word, regular times of prayer, attending corporate worship, the Lord's table and baptism, and serving others in the church, both to serve them and encourage them and for them to serve and encourage us. So I think that parallel is quite there. Matthew Henry's comment here in these verses, I think, sums this up pretty well. Those that are in the way of God in their duty may expect providence will protect them, but this will not excuse them from taking prudent methods for their own safety. And we are called to use those means of grace in our walk and in our sanctification. Probably the short one-liner here is, providence should be trusted, but not tempted. So the Israelites are not to just sit there and wait for the Lord to do the work. They are to trust in him, but they are to get ready and use the means of of grace and the means available to them to conquer that land. And it's the same with us. Second point, God's providence. When the spies left the Israelite encampment, they most likely went north, found some spot where they could cross the Jordan River, either by fording it, walking across it, or a ferry to take them across. Then they probably go west, south, and at least cleverly try and enter Jericho from the east side, or the west side, I'm sorry, not from the east side, which is the side where the Israelites are at, at least maybe to try and fool them to make them think they aren't from that part of that from that area. Once in Jericho, they, they begin their spying mission. Now I don't know what that looks like, but I'm sure it is. How thick is the wall? How strong are the gates? And how many soldiers are standing on the wall? And they have a couple of choices here when they're in Jericho as to where to seek shelter. Typically in the culture at that time, if you came into a city or a village, you would go to the center square. And if you're a stranger, it it would be behooven on residents to offer you a place to stay, hospitality for the night. So one possibility is they could look for some local um, householder to give them shelter. Other possibility here is to seek shelter in an inn, in this case, a house of prostitution. Okay, the logic here could be 
a lot of strangers in that place. Two more strangers might be able to hide there a little bit and not be quite as visible, perhaps. That might be a choice. They could also just spend the night in the square, right? Just huddle down under their blankets and spend the night outside. It's interesting here, though, in God's providence, he directs the two spies to Rahab's inn. And he does it just in time. Because we see in verse 3 that the hunt is already up for the spies. Somehow they have either been betrayed or they've somehow given themselves away. Don't know, you know, doesn't, the scripture doesn't tell us, but the jig's up, right? The king of Jericho knows that they're in the city. Not only that, he knows where they are. Somehow he knows they're at Rahab's place. He doesn't go looking among the other people in the city. He sends the soldiers right there to look for him. In God's providence, he has directed the spies to the one place in Jericho and to the one person in Jericho who's come to saving faith in the Lord, the God of Israel, and who will protect the spies. And while the scripture doesn't say that, I'm pretty sure she's the only one in Jericho who's come to saving faith. And I say that because the rest die in the battle for Jericho when the Israelites take it. Similarly, God's providence is active in our lives today. Some of us, I'm looking at Leroy, who are older, And have looked back across our lives, and this is something Leroy and I have talked about often, you can see God's providence in your life. You can see where he's moved or acted on your behalf. This career door opened, this one closed. I tell you this, my wife knows this story. So when I was in high school, I met my wife, which was a blessing. But I also was dating two girls at the same time, which probably was not very prudent. But interestingly, he left the one and married the other. He arranged for that in his providence that I fell in love with Mary. There'll be a host of other stories each of you will have. I would urge you to share those with each other, but more importantly, with the younger saints encourage them because I will tell you when I was younger it wasn't always obvious to me how God's hand was working in my life and sometimes I wondered if that was really there if he was really guiding me that can be a great encouragement to people who are younger as it would have been to me if someone had, had helped me that way the other thing I would give you is David's advice remember to thank the Lord for his actions in your life over the past years, where he steered you one way or the other, protected you, taken care of you, moved in a way that would move you in your life and in your sanctification. Second point I would make here is God saved the spies just in time, right? They didn't get to Rahab's house early. They didn't get there late. They got there just when they were supposed to be. God's grace is like this. We pray for it, and it is right to pray for it. But it is also right to expect that he will give it to us 
when we need it. He's never late. He will never be early. But it will be there just in time. And he, in his providence, gets them to Rahab's house just ahead of the king's soldiers. The other point here is Rahab's kind of an unlikely choice, right? Wouldn't God want to save the spies by some upstanding pillar in the community? Some man who will have come to saving faith, some man who does good works. Somehow he would have chosen that person to save the spies. He doesn't. He chooses a Gentile and a prostitute. There's a lesson here for us. Even though Rahab's lifestyle certainly would not be commendable and undoubtedly was full of sin, he still saves her. No matter your lifestyle or the sins you've committed in the past, you can't out-sin God's grace. His grace is greater than all our sin. So if there's anybody listening or here today who thinks you're beyond God's grace, that you've committed sins, that there's just no way he will forgive you, you're wrong. He will. You just have to come to the cross and confess those sins and accept Christ's forgiveness. You cannot out-sin out his grace. Third point, Rahab's faith. We'll look at this in a little bit of detail. We'll look at her works we'll look at how she came to faith and we'll look at faith's rewards. Rahab demonstrates her faith by saving the spies and helping them to escape. She also demonstrates her, her faith in negotiating for the safety of her family with the spies and then in following the spies' directions after those negotiations, if you will, are complete. She puts her trust in the Lord to save her and her family. The classic symbol here might be the scarlet cord that hangs in the window. The Hebrew word here for rope also happens, the root word happens to be the same root word for hope. It's interesting. That rope is her hope. Her hope for salvation and for the saving of her family. Now, there are many, in reading the commentaries and preparing for this sermon, there are a great number of allegorical interpretations of that scarlet thread. And we're not going to spend our time going through most of them because several of them are pretty fanciful. But I will offer one from Francis Schaeffer here. That scarlet thread does certainly remind you of Passover. Blood red blood on the doorpost, the Lord passed over the house and didn't visit it with destruction. Red cord hanging from the window, the Lord will pass over and will not visit destruction on that house. Francis Schaeffer's comment here is, they left Egypt with blood over the doorpost and entered Canaan to be welcomed by the red sign of a believer in the window. She demonstrated her faith by her works. That is the same point I would make for us. How we live our lives, the things we do, 
demonstrates our faith, and we're called to do the works that the Lord's prepared beforehand for us to do. Works of mercy, works of service, works of faith. And we are to be careful to do those and faithful to do those, much as Rahab was and did. Okay, I'm going to take a side here for just a minute because I'm sure all of you who heard the story when, when it was read probably have, have come to this interesting dilemma about Rahab's faith. In verse 4 and 5, we are presented with a pretty awkward truth here. What's Rahab's first work of faith? She lies three times said she did not know where the men came from, did not know where they had gone, and did not know where they were. Well, she knew they were Israelites. They knew they were upstairs, and she hid them under the stalks. So your question, the question here, the moral dilemma is, is that the right thing to do? Because she clearly violates the ninth commandment here. Some would argue that in war, we're not obligated to give information to the enemy or to give them any assistance. Okay? Possibly. The other argument that's usually made is, well, she chose the lesser of two evils. She, By lying, she prevented a greater evil from occurring. Okay, there's some logic there. The greater evil she prevented was the death of the two spies. That's probably pretty obvious. What else did she prevent? The death of her family and her death. Because there's no doubt that the king of Jericho would perceive them to be traitors, right? And the death for traitors? Uh, yeah, the, the judgment for traitors is death, right? So undoubtedly several people would have died reminds me of Corey Ten Boom's story in World War II. The Jews are in the basement, hiding. Who comes to the door? The SS. What are they looking for? The Jews. What do you do? Because you know if you tell them they're in the basement, they're going to take them away and they're going to die. You also know if they find them in your basement, what's going to happen you're probably going with them. So there's, 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 there's a sense there that perhaps you can justify that based on the greater evil. Now the problem with that is, and here's my caution, once you start to define what's the greater evil, you've got to be careful because in our own sinful nature, we're going to tend to lower that bar, Right? It seems to be a fairly straightforward dilemma, right? Okay, I, I got this. All these people are going to die. This, this is probably the right thing. This is probably the good thing to do. Okay, so next time, hmm, I'm going to pick on Leroy. I really don't want to hurt Leroy's feelings. So maybe I won't tell him quite the truth. Well, then pretty soon... lower the standard again and then I lower it again and the next thing you know lying just becomes it's okay 
I can justify it for anything. So that's the flip side of that coin. That's the danger if, if, if we go down that path. So as I struggled with this, as I made Leroy struggle <laughs> with this with me on Wednesday morning, Calvin's words here are probably pretty helpful. His comment on this passage, as to the falsehood that Rahab committed, we must admit that though it was done for good, it was not free from fault. For those who hold that what is called a dutiful lie to be altogether excusable do not sufficiently consider how precious truth is in the sight of our God. Well, her, her actions are commended in Hebrews and her faith was strong. The old Puritan saying about real faith is salted with sin certainly is demonstrated in this case. And that sin did need to be confessed. I think she made the right choice. She also needed to confess that sin. I would also say, let us pray we don't ever have to make that choice. Because that would be a very, very difficult choice. Okay, faith's formation. How did she come to faith? Abraham Cupper, a biblical scholar, has this quote. The people who in Rahab's time most frequently used such houses of prostitution were the traveling merchants. From them she had repeatedly heard of the marvelous nation which was approaching from Egypt, and of the God of Israel who had performed such striking miracles. And I think that's exactly right. Remember, how big is how big how how big a crew is Moses leading through the wilderness here? We don't know for sure, but it numbers over six hundred thousand men for war, right? If you add their wives and the children, you're probably looking at about two million people. I would submit that even in the Sinai Desert, it's pretty hard to hide two million people who are moving through the desert over these forty years, especially when you remember that they're basically moving from one oasis to another, right? They need the water. And all the caravans, the trading caravans that, that Carper's talking about here would also be stopping at those oases, right, as they're traveling back and forth to Egypt. So there's no doubt, word of Israel has been on the 11 o'clock news in Jericho for about 40 years. And so they've heard all these stories. Just recently... Israel has defeated the kings on the east side of the river, Sihon and Og, right? And taken over all their cities and their entire land. So they've just recently witnessed those people coming near to them. So interestingly, let, let's look at Rahab's speech here in chapter 2, by the way, just, just as an odd aside, is the longest speech by a woman in the Bible. Just an interesting tidbit I found out. Now, let's look at nine through, nine, verses 9 through 11 for a minute. So how does she come to faith? Well, you get the answer in these verses. There's a chiastic structure in, this ver in these verses. And remember, Pete's explained that to us. It's a chiasm. So it's point A, point B, point C, point D, center point, then D prime, C prime, B prime, A prime, each referring to the original and reinforcing the, the message. So it would go something like this. A, the Lord has given you the land. 
B, a great fear of you has fallen on us. C, all who live in the country are melting in fear. D, we have heard. E, how the Lord parted the Red Sea. E prime, what you did to Sihon and Og. D prime, when we heard. C prime, our hearts melted in fear. B prime, everyone's courage fails them. A prime, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. And there's your statement of faith. How does she come to saving faith? She heard the way all of us came to saving faith, the same way. God's usual method for bringing us is to hear and to hear the word preached and to be witnessed to. The obvious application here for us is we have that obligation to tell people. When that opportunity is available to us and we have it, we should use it. We should witness to the Lord and what he's done for us. Much is what happened here. Now you'd say, boy, that's, an, that's kind of an interesting way to hear. But it's amazing how the Lord does that. So we are called to do that same thing. Okay, faith's reward. So what was Rahab's reward here? Well, first, the spies were greatly encouraged by her report. Remember she told them, right? Everybody was fearful of the Israelites. They were scared. Go back about 38 and a half years. What was the report of the first spies who went into Canaan? Woe is thus. These guys are big. We can't defeat him. We got to go back to Egypt. And the, plan, and the consequence of that was another 38 years or 40 years in total wandering around in the wilderness, right? It's not what happens here. You read the rest of the story in Joshua. This report encouraged the Israelites and they continued on their conquest. Rahab and her family are saved. You read a couple chapters in, Jericho's wall falls except for one part. The part that doesn't collapse is her house, which is built into the wall. And in the window of that house hangs the threat. All of her family stays in the house, and they're all saved from destruction. She goes on to become an Israelite, and she marries a prince of Judah named Salmon. Now you say, what difference does that make? Well, it's going to make a lot here in just a second. Salmon's son is a man named Boaz. Interestingly, Boaz marries another Gentile, Ruth, the Moabites. Their son is Obed. Their grandson is Jesse. Their great-grandson is King David. And David's greater son is Jesus Christ. She is in the lineage of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Bob read to us earlier, or led us in reading, she's mentioned in, in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11. But most importantly, she was saved unto eternal life. Faith's ultimate reward, to spend all of eternity with the Lord God. A couple of final thoughts. God's providence is clearly on display here. 
Rahab comes to faith, the spies come to Rahab, all the wall except the part containing her house crashes. She and her family are spared destruction and she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ and gets eternal life. That is a very similar story to you and I. Now maybe our houses haven't collapsed. But in God's providence, he's brought us to eternal life through faith in Christ. For faith came by hearing. She hears of Israel's God and she believes. We have an advantage over, over Rahab. We have the entire revelation of God in the Holy Scriptures. We have the testimony of past saints and the testimony of current saints. If there's anyone here who hasn't come to saving faith or is listening and hasn't come, I would urge you to take advantage of the offer from Jesus Christ today. Go to his cross, confess your sins, and accept him as your Lord and Savior. And you too can have the same rewards that Rahab has. Your sins will be forgiven. We will be adopted as his children. We will be sanctified, glorified, and eventually we'll spend all of eternity in the presence of God the Father and the Son. Praise be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your providence in our lives and for giving us saving faith and for the presence of your spirit in our lives to sanctify us and lead us in doing the works that you have called us to do. Be with us now, Father, as we go forward this week, that we may live our lives to your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you please, if you're able, stand and join me in our final song, which is In Christ Alone.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.